Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio and I use Radio TV building, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Welcome to Noon Edition. My co-host today is WFIU WTIU's Joe Wren. In the wake of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Florida, the nation is once again wrestling with the debate over gun control and gun violence. Many of the young survivors of last week's shooting are demanding a ban on assault weapons and a tighter control uh, on gun regulations. So we're going to be talking about that with five panelists today, a total of five panelists. We have four in the studio with us. And we're also joined uh, on the phone by Brandon Smith, Indiana Public Media Statehouse reporter. Uh, but let me introduce our, our in-studio guests. Uh, joining us is Matt Barthold, who's the uh, owner of American Arms in Bloomington. We also have Courtney Daly, local chair for Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Jody Madera is a professor of law at the IU Mauer School of Law. And Keith Gamble is vice president of the Indiana State Teachers Association in Evansville, Indiana. You can join us on the program by calling in at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So it's great to have all five of you here with us today. We're happy to, happy to have all sorts of perspectives on this issue. And I, I think I want to start with... Um, with Keith Gamble first. I mean, this was, uh, you know, we, we have mass shootings. This was another shooting that was in a, a school, and you represent teachers in school. A lot of the d discussion has been over, you know, how to keep schools safe, whether it's through restricting, you know, guns or through arming teachers or what, you know, what, what are some of the uh, ideas we could do to keep, um, you know, keep students safer. So, Keith, from, uh, from the I ISTA's point of view, you know, what are some steps that could be taken? Thank you for the invitation. Mm -hmm. And let me say that not only do I represent teachers, I am a teacher. Um, I work for the Evansville Vandenberg School Corporation and just yesterday was at Wright's High School uh, working with the tenors and baritones as they prepare for ISMA contest coming up. And many people in Indiana know and understand these programs that we have in school. We do not believe that arming teachers and bringing guns into school is an effective way to detour what is happening in our schools. Um, and law enforcement is in complete agreement with this, that adding more uh, guns into the school is not a way to do this. Uh, we need assistance for these children. You recognize that the intruders in all of the school shootings have been students. And we need to get assistance for them, more school counselors, more resources for teachers as they begin to identify uh, problems that they see with students so that they can get the help that they need. Okay. Uh, yeah, Courtney, I want to go to you next from Moms Demand Action. Uh, so what, what, what's your perspective on what should happen next? Um, well, from Moms Demand perspective, one of the things that we feel would really um, help to avoid these situations in the future is red flag laws. Um, a red flag law would, um, it allows a family or law enforcement to flag somebody who's in crisis, who is displaying signs of distress, and who is um, at risk for becoming a shooter. And so what could happen then is it empowers the family to get in place an extreme risk protection order, mm -hmm. which they could then legally um, help remove firearms or prevent a person from re obtaining a firearm while they help to evaluate the person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Brandon Smith, I want to bring you uh, next on board. What, what kind of things are working their way through the state house now? Well, there are two gun regulation bills that are moving this year. Um, one of them that seems to be on, on a pretty direct course and hasn't been at all 
sort of hampered by the Parkland school shooting and everything that's happened since then, uh, is a bill that, that changes the way um, you're allowed to carry your firearm to church if that church is on a school property. So right now in Indiana, um, if you're legally allowed to carry in public, that includes a church. But guns are largely barred from school grounds, and so if you, like many cases, have a church that shares property with a school, technically Indiana law says you aren't allowed to bring your gun there, even if the church lets you. So what lawmakers are trying to do with that legislation this year is say, for church activities, so not during the school day when all of the students are there, but during church activities, so during the worship services, if the church holds events or if the house of worship holds events at, on the school grounds, but during the week at night, you would be allowed to carry your, your, your gun legally there as well. Uh, that, like I said, is moving fairly, fairly smoothly through the process overall. There's another bit of legislation, however, that has had some, some doubts creep in in the wake of that Florida school shooting, and that's a bill that was seemingly more innocuous, um, changing some of Indiana's gun licensing system. Right now, Indiana has a four-year handgun license. Uh, the bill would extend it to a five-year license, and the reason it would do that is that brings it into compliance with a federal law that would mean that those license holders would only have to get a background check every five years when they renew that permit. They wouldn't have to, as is current law, they wouldn't have to get a background check every time they buy a gun. That bill passed, or a version of that bill passed unanimously through the Senate earlier this session, overwhelmingly through the House. But now, in the wake of the Florida shooting, it has some lawmakers uh, asking more questions about whether we should eliminate background checks at point of sale for those license holders. And, and when I say some lawmakers, notably, Senate President Pro Tem, Senate Republican Leader David Long, this week, said he is not happy with that change in law. He thinks the status quo on background checks and licensing is adequate. And uh, he stressed that he's only speaking for himself, but when the Senate President Pro Tem has doubts about a bill, that certainly raises doubts about that le legislation's chance to pass. Okay. So, Matt, every time there's a, a shooting like this, a mass shooting, I'm sure that you hear a lot and you have a lot of questions about, you know, your business and what you do. So, you know, in, in the wake of what happened in Florida last week, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, the thoughts are a firearm, what is it? It's an inanimate object. It's not the gun's fault. The gun doesn't do anything. It's the bullet. It doesn't do anything. It's the person behind it. Um, but as it goes into getting help, if it's a mental aspect, then yes, it's, that's what we need to focus on. Um, if you look at the stats, firearms aren't the most thing that happens, whether it's shootings or anything else. You look at all the other weapons, which can be anything. If you look at the FBI stats, which I, I have kind of showing, or uh, vehicles, the accidents, nobody's trying to ban vehicles. They don't try to ban the phones for texting and driving and causing uh, deaths. It's not the firearm that's the issue. The background checks, yes. Um, should you, as a person carrying, own a firearm? You know, it's Second Amendment right. It's your right to own it. Doing to carry it yourself and walk around, you know, I've been an instructor for 21 years for the Marine Corps. I was an instructor um, on the Marine Corps shooting teams. After that, worked for the second largest security company in the nation, Coastal National Security, uh, director of training and recruiting for them trained military, law enforcement, private security, civilians, and I think if you're going to carry a firearm, you should have training. Um, again, my thought, but I've seen too many times within a, a seven-yard distance, people miss a target, and there's no stress. It's because they don't know how to handle a firearm correctly, and that's the big issue is not knowing enough about what a firearm is or knowing how to handle it, how to use it. As the background checks getting rid of? No, because somebody could be fine today but in a week, they commit a felony, and now they're a felon. So if you get rid of it, now you're selling to a felony. And as my shop I've had for six years, every person walking out, they get a background check. I've had people denied. They don't get a firearm until I get confirmation from ATF or FBI that they can proceed, that they do get it. I've had some that get delayed, and legally after three business days, they can get that firearm and I've had them denied after that. It never came through. It's proceed. It's delay. 
I've had to call them up and say, hey, here's the thing. You either bring the firearm back to me or ATF's going to come knocking on your door. They're not going to come <laughs> busting it down, but they're going to come reclaim the firearm. And I've had them brought back. Um, so is it scrutinizing going more into, you know, what does it take to get a firearm, uh, the background for mental illness or for felons? Um, that's where it's at. But trying to take firearms away, that's like me having a firearm and you have a criminal who has one. You take it away from me. You're not getting away from them. They're still going to have it. So I can't protect my family. I can't protect my loved ones. You know, I can't protect my country. So that's that's kind of where it's at. But yeah, definitely for checking on backgrounds, for mm-hmm. paying more attention to the mental aspect and helping uh, the youth. Or not just that, they're our our loved ones. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that the debate often is about, uh, at least in 2018, is often about you know, certain kinds of, of gun regulations, not about, it's not about, you know, doing away with the Second Amendment or people don't have a right to own arms. But I think, Jody, there's some, like, uh, let's focus on, you know, on the, the weapon, uh, Matt, and you can certainly jump in here too, the weapon that was used in Florida. I mean, that, that was, you know, I'm, I can't describe exactly, it was an AR-15, right? So, um, those weapons, I mean, there there are a lot of, there are some states, some, I think, municipalities that don't allow those to be sold. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, we do have some states, such as California, Maryland, New Jersey, with assault weapons bans in place. Those bans have been upheld. Um, some bans were, were put into place after Newtown, the school shootings there. Others, uh, California has existed since 1989. Um, and the federal assault weapons ban actually would have uh, prohibited AR-15s as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Matt, I guess I'm going to kick it back to you. I mean, there, you know, are there are there kinds of weapons? Like, if somebody comes into your shop, do you sell AR-15s in your shop? Yeah. Okay. So, if somebody comes in to get one, what kind of background do they go through? The same background check as any it's other weapon? The same thing. When that background check gets done, it shows: is it a handgun? Mm-hmm. Is it a long gun? Which a long gun's a rifle or shotgun? And then other other is somebody's got a a stripped just receiver which you might not realize what it is but it's like a ar-15 receiver there's ak's but and they're going to actually build the gun up themselves but it still it has to be registered um so it, it's going through and doing that but i do believe california they still have ars it's a 10 round magazine capacity so they right. can't have more than 10 rounds and that's the thing with an ar and it's the news the media not putting what exactly it is ar doesn't stand for assault rifle it's armor light um, knowing that I've seen too many times in the news seeing a picture and they'll show a 1911 45 and say and that holds 10 rounds, but they show this Glock 17 9mm holding 17 rounds, and people believe it. It's like mm-hmm. you're not even showing what that gun is. And it's, it's the, I hate saying the ignorance, and people are going to believe what they see or read in the media, and they need to get away from that. Do your own research and find out what it actually is. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, I said some states do that because, uh, like some Massachusetts and uh, New York, and you have to some places you do go have to register that gun directly, not just having the background check and it stays in our files and everything else. But um, yeah. it's you know, and it's not a full auto. You know, it's it's a semi. You have to pull the trigger every time for it to go off. A full automatic weapon you can own, but before 1986 you had it. After that, no longer can they just be made unless it's military law enforcement. And if you wanted to buy one, you have to find somebody willing to sell it. You're waiting six to eight months, maybe a little bit longer, going through the process with ATF to get it transferred over to your name. It, it, so, I mean, legally, I mean, you know, there's people out there that might do it back, well, they say straw purchase or back behind doors and sell it. But legally to have it done, you can't just go buy a full auto. There's people try to do things like the slide fire, um, bump stock. Mm-hmm. It's not a full auto. You actually have to... I know people on radio can't see it, but you're actually moving the gun to make it shoot faster, not just pulling the trigger. So it's um, it's just again, it's the knowledge or knowing about what what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, just give the number really quick again: eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also join us by tweeting at Noon Edition. Again, eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. I wanted to bring maybe Courtney and Keith back into this too. We're talking, of course, a very adult type subject, but um, a lot of I can imagine what's going through the minds of children. How do you deal with, or what, what's the communication path to to kids when when something like this is all over the news? 
and this is what's very important, is uh, a recognition of the need for uh, trauma-informed instruction for children as they go through this or as they see and hear about it on the media. Uh, children are exposed to so much more now than when I was growing up, certainly, um, and that you're finding out about it in real world time. And we need resources for the teachers in the schools to best help the students. Uh, but that's working after the fact. Uh, we're interested in being proactive. What can we do to help students not get to a point to where they snap and make such horrific decisions as this. What can we do on the, in the going forward to help beforehand? And that's why making sure that we have the counselors in place to assist, making sure that we have trained the teachers what to look for, how to identify, and then have the resources to get to, to that child. We know in this case there were many things that happened on the front end and there were still gaps. So what can we do to help make sure that that doesn't happen again? Yeah, yeah, Courtney, and if I go can, ahead. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, we've seen such an articulate outpouring of protest from the students, not just from Florida, but from you know, many areas around the country that are saying enough is enough. You know, I mean, not one more. They don't want to ever have to feel unsafe in their schools again. And so um, I'm just so highly encouraged by the, the high school and college students who are speaking out and suddenly getting involved in activism and who are saying they are not going to let go of this. And so we have created a new campaign called Students Demand Action. And it is completely student-led and student-based. And it's really thrilling how I'm hearing already so much interest around Bloomington from students at North and South. And I've even heard you know, at the academy they're, they're looking to put together the student demand group. And they've reached out to me to, to help them try to get to DC for the March for Our Lives for March 24th. Mm -hmm. Can I thank Courtney for mentioning the students? This is what is different. Um, at the time of Columbine, uh, this ability to network with youth just didn't exist. Uh, we have students in Indiana who, on the marching band field, competed against Stoneman Douglas. So when they see these names, they know that they were on the same field at Lucas Oil with some of these same students. And they are taking it very personally, and they are organized in a way like we have never seen before. It is how they are able to galvanize this kind of work nationally. When adults look at them and say, well, they're spending all this time on the screen, they've been networking nationally with their peers. and change is coming and they're calling on adults to make it but many of these students are 17 and 18 they're going to be at the ballot box in may and in november and by 2020 all of them that have been involved will be legal age voters and they will be demanding change mm -hmm. all right we have a phone call let's go to sarah from south central indiana it says sarah thank you for having me on your show mm -hmm. uh, i too work at a school i'm a janitor and I guess I'm representing a different view. I own a lot of guns. I know that sounds scary, but um, I'm a very peaceful person. And there are a lot of very law-abiding uh, gun owners who also uh, own a variety of guns. And I just want to say that as the gentleman who owns the gun shop stated, targeting the law-abiding gun owners is really, I don't see it as the solution. Uh, the problem I see in the school system is you have a growing number of kids who probably due to household circumstances have rage issues that are completely out of proportion with the stimulus. In other words, you'll have children who uh, go into fighting horrible, horrible behaviors that do not correspond with the incident that triggered it. Maybe someone tried to say, hey, you need to get your homework out or you need to get on the bus. And you see a growing number of classrooms that have to be dedicated to children with these issues. And I will say that I think the root cause is a lessening of social controls in certain countries, uh, notably America, and that that issue, you can ban AR-15s and AKs, 
and it will probably change the weapon that is used. But that issue of the built-up rage that they're coming from from home and having the urge to harm people is not going to go away. You look at a country like Japan with very strict gun control, country like Switzerland that guns are easily available to the common populace, what do they have in common? They have a much lower incidence of gun violence and especially gun violence in schools. Both countries have strict societal controls. Behavior is expected in schools and in society as, uh, as a whole. And so what I'm trying to say is that, you know, uh, I just feel that we talk about the NRA being a special interest group, but so are gun control advocates. And I feel like that they're just kind of leaping on the chance to say, okay, let's ban a certain style of gun. And they're not looking at the root cause. The root cause, irregardless of what you believe about guns, and I've talked to various people who have different views, but the one thing, the one common theme I've heard of is that we are getting kids from homes that um, are dysfunctional, and the kids are a result of that. And we can do as much as we can, but until the issues at home are addressed and the parents get up and start having better behaviors and really trying to show a better example to children, that this isn't going to go away. So I, I just kind of want to say that I, I just feel like that it's getting hijacked, and irregardless of what you believe on guns, the issue of kids coming from households where violent behavior is acceptable, so by the time they hit the school system, uh, you know, you have a growing number of kids whose rage is just way out of proportion. It's almost like you kind of wonder how they're going to function in society. All right, Sarah, we're going to we're going to cut you off there because okay, I think you've made really your you've made your points. We've got a, a couple of people who want to comment. No so thank you very okay, much. Thank you for calling. Okay, bye, Jody. Uh, yes, I agree uh, that the problem of gun violence is deeply socially contextualized, and we can have better societal responses that actually don't involve firearms um, or directly or penetrate deeper to the root causes. So I do a lot of law and medicine issues as well, and when a gun shooting victim shows up in hospital, we have these programs in Indianapolis. They've existed for 13 years in major trauma hospitals across the country. Um, there is a bedside social worker that shows up, helps with housing issues, helps with education issues, helps with employment issues. And if we can do it and bring together communities to help shooting victims better their lives and therefore end violence on the streets or diminish it, we can do the same for schools, which are microcosms of society much smaller. Um, one of the things that I think is most ill-informed that I've been hearing afterwards, however, uh, after this shooting is that the family is the problem. Um, I'm a mother of seven children, and as a mother of seven children, I'm aware that there's a variety of parenting styles. And in fact, one of the most dangerous is helicopter parenting. We have to, we're constantly caught in a bind about how much latitude we leave our children um, and their, their ability to make decisions on their own. And if we constantly look over their shoulders, we will not raise secure, mentally stable adults. That said, um, you know, this is this is a wide societal problem. Only uh, there's probably one in a million chance that a, st a certain student will commit a school shooting. And uh, I think that there is this perception out there that children are full of rage, that they're disconnected, that they're loners. I think that's uh, actually not socially scientifically accurate to have my PhD in communication studies. And I think this generation is engaged and with each other in different ways than we give them credit for. Um, and perhaps there is obvious causes like playing violent video games and Call of Duty and immature, particular and immature people. But we cannot uh, banning um, certain parenting styles is as unrealistic as banning guns. Um, and we have to look to other issues um, besides parenting uh, while recognizing that is one of the root causes. And unfortunately, while guns do not do this alone, people with guns you know, commit these issues. So I think firearms uh, are part of the problem, even if it's as simple as looking at raising the age for an AR-15 in Florida to 21 instead of 18. We're gonna we're we're just getting warmed up, but we're gonna have to take a short break. Uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about uh, gun issues and and gun violence and what steps may be taken after the the most recent school shootings. Uh, we'll be right back.
from the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. And I'm going to go quickly through our guest list because we have uh, just a short period of time and a lot of things to talk about here. Brandon Smith with Indiana Public Media, the the Statehouse reporter, is in Indianapolis. We have Matt Barthold, who's the owner of American Arms here in Bloomington. Courtney Daly, the local chair for Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America from Bloomington. Jody Madeira, who's a professor of law, the IU Maurer School of Law, and Keith Gamble, Vice President for the Indiana State Associ- State Teachers Association in Evansville. Uh, if you want to join us, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free, 1-877-285-9348 outside of Bloomington. You can also email us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Brandon Smith, you've been listening to a lot of the conversation here uh, today, and you know you've covered the state house for a few years. Is is there a different feeling in the state house after you know after this most recent um, school shooting about you know gun safety, gun control laws than in the pre- in previous years? Uh, not exceptionally different. Um, there is a there is a slight uptick in. Um and expressions from from legislative leadership about need to maybe take another look at school safety uh, when it comes to gun violence issues, uh, and and there's ex- both House Speaker Brian Bosman, Senate Senator David Long, the Senate Republican leader, have both said that they may try to do something here in even the the short amount of time they have left this session to try and reinforce what the state has already done when it comes to school safety. That they passed a fairly comprehensive well. Uh, a fairly significant piece of legislation back in 2013 that created a grant program for schools to hire resource officers, to create safety plans, to buy equipment, and that program continues through now. There's, I think, $45 million. Uh, it might be per year, it might be per budget, but something like that for schools uh, when it comes to safety. I don't think you're going to see anything dramatic, like I mentioned earlier when I talked about the legislation moving. There's perhaps some more pushback on changes to the gun license and, and background check system uh, than we saw earlier in the session as a result of the shooting. But I wouldn't say the, the general feelings about gun rights and, and gun regulations have dramatically changed because of this incident. Okay. Brandon, do you think this will have to, or anything that were to move forward with, with gun violence or control would need to happen more on a federal level or state level? The, the expressions here that a lot of it is at the federal level, um, certainly you have the, the issue of a federal constitution and, and a state constitution here in Indiana that, in which the, the gun right language is even a little more explicit than it is in the federal constitution. Um, they're going to try to nibble around the edges, I get the sense here, uh, mostly on school, sh- uh, school safety as opposed to actual gun regulations. And I don't think you'll see anything in this General Assembly or likely in future General Assemblies for a while that would be perceived as restricting uh, access to guns or things like that. All right, we're starting to get some phone calls. We had a caller uh, actually in the first half of our program who just said that um, she feels unsafe with the proliferation with more guns. Hard word. <laughs> yeah, more guns. Uh, even as a trained gun owner, she said. So uh, let's see, our first caller, it looks like Chuck, who's from, high, he lives on Highway 37. Chuck? 
Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to uh, remind folks, I guess everybody knows about it, but there was a huge mass killing of some 36 people with an AR-15 in Australia back in 1996. And they passed a bunch of uh, gun laws shortly after that. Uh, they haven't had a mass killing since. In the something like 15 years prior to 96, they had 13 mass killings. The idea that, that uh, some restriction on guns doesn't have an impact is, it just seems foolish. When it's been tried, it has an impact. All right. Comments? Uh, Jody, Matt? I will say, on the mass shooting aspect, if you take the firearms away, then yes, you're looking at, say, you have 100,000 people, you take them away, and you've only got, you know, 10,000 guns out there, then you've got less out. If you look at our country, I think it's 300 million people we have in this country. I think the FBI stats, and I'm, don't quote me on this, is around 85% of these people in the U.S. have firearms. So, of course, when our country has some of the largest amount other than China, um, you're going to have a higher mass shooting rate. You're going to have a higher rate in knives. But if you look at Australia, you look at Great Britain, even England still has mass shootings, and they're banned. So it's taken it away. You're going to either do what China had a few weeks ago um, in the subway, 120 people killed with knives. It was a gang that went through. That's more people killed in an hour that happened than what a shooting was. So the firearm itself, again, it's not the firearm. They're going to find a way. You know, there could be a group of people and somebody takes, uh, was it France, took a vehicle and just ran them all down. That's going to do the same thing, a bomb. What happened 9-11? Was there a firearm used in that? No. I mean, that killed more people there than, I mean, so it's, again, people want to go towards a firearm. It's an inanimate object, but you're not trying to get rid of stuff. Courtney first, and then, and then um, Jody. I just wanted to say that we keep focusing on mass shootings, and obviously, of course, in the wake of, of what happened last week, this is a really big and important topic. But, um, you know, the, the fact is that more than 90 Americans are killed every day with guns, and hundreds more are injured. So these are the shootings that don't make the headlines, and they deserve just as much attention and outrage. So when we're talking about gun violence prevention, it's not just about preventing mass shootings. As much as we want to prevent mass shootings, we definitely want to reduce that number of 96 Americans every day. And it's also not just about banning assault weapons, because there, there are more there are policies that we can put in place that would actually save more lives. Mm-hmm. What kind of policies? I mean, what would you... What are things that you might suggest? Definitely tightening the background mm-hmm. check. Um, you know, the the gun show loophole is mm-hmm. is something that we need to be taking a closer look at. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the red flag laws. Mm-hmm. Um, only five states have red flag laws in place, and we're very fortunate because Indiana is one of them. And the public, I don't think the public really knows much about this. It's extremely important for the community to know that we have this option. Mm-hmm. Hey, Matt, could you explain the gun the gun show loophole that she's talking about? Yeah, that's that ends up being like a person to person people, and I don't, I'm not for that either because you know, as a if you go to a gun show as a dealer, you're paying to have a table there to sell your items to what you're supposed to be doing a background check still, and people show up say, you know, I'm going to go sell my gun. And I'm not going to sell it to a dealer because they can give me less, but I'll see somebody walking around who wants to buy it and say, hey, hey, I got this gun. I'll sell it to you. And they do a person-to-person transaction, which most states have. You can do a person-to-person transaction as long as they're not a felon. You guys agree to it and say that you're not felons, and, um, uh, and you have to be from that state. So Indiana to Indiana resident, not Indiana to Texas resident. That's when you have to actually ship that firearm to that state. Um, so, I mean, there, there are some things that, again, people are always going to find a loophole, but I do want to go back real quick to, you said 96 people a day shot and killed, or you're not talking about murder, you just even accidents. Shot and killed. Uh, that includes domestic violence situations, unintentional shootings, and suicides right. also. So that's about 32,000, and again, a year. You look into, and I'm just going through the show, if you look, and this was 2000, I couldn't find anything with 2017 yet, but 2016 stats on the FBI site shows that with uh, drunk driving, with just vehicle incidents, end up being 28 people a day of drunk driving are killed, which I forget what that adds up to. It's, I think, 10,000-something. But then you add in all the vehicle 
uh, just accidents and everything else. It was 30, 32,000, and then you add another for passengers. Which, I mean, it was close to 40,000. That's just there. That's not including any other weapons used, which is about another 6,000. So it goes over Can I that. jump in here? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that certainly we want to save lives wherever we have the chance. Um, and again, it's not just guns. There's other weapons. There's other ways to die. Um, and we have to, of course, look at the risks of of uh, various forms of violence. Um, going back to the caller's point about Australia, I think um, one of the that's one of the most frequent comparisons that's made. And we do have, uh, like you said, a federal and state constitution uh, that, that are very different from those of Australia and other countries. We have a different lawmaking procedure and we have a different system of accountability between our legislators and their constituents that make such efforts very difficult. That is um, uh, the practical side, the pragmatic side. I think on the constitutional law side, assault weapons bans might be constitutional under Heller. Um, there's certainly been a number of uh, federal appellate courts upholding them, uh, sometimes over very uh, heated dissents that these uh, bans take away Second Amendment rights. But um, so those, I think, are just different considerations. It's very hard sometimes to compare state to state, uh, country to country. It's apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. they, they, as you said, the these could be issues that, are, that wind up in the courts and wind up going all the way to the Supreme Court. There are policy, you know, policy changes that could occur. And, you know, Matt, I wanted to go back. You were mentioning magazines before. I mean, one of the things that I hear these uh, in the aftermath of, of these shootings is that perhaps there should be some sort of uh, restrictions on the number of magazines you could purchase or the size of magazines that you can purchase. Could you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's, it doesn't matter if it's 10 round magazines, 30 round magazines. 10-round magazine, I mean, if you look at some competitive shooters, you've got a 10-round magazine, you shoot, you can reload in less than a second. It's, it's not going to matter. Um, that's why I said you look California, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, I think Connecticut, they've all got say, no more than 10 rounds that gun can hold. Um, the manufacturers make the magazines like that. The firearm itself, all you have to do is put a 17-round magazine in it. I mean, it's just a magazine changes the spring, it's the follower in. Um, so it's, again... The magazine, it doesn't matter whether it's one round. You could have one round magazines and you have 50 of them on you, you're just popping them out. It's taking less than a second to reload. Um, but yeah, there are just some states that do that. So, okay, now you're less likely to be able to get as many rounds off at one time. But full autos, you know, like the assault weapons ban, assault weapon is a select fire. It's full auto, three round burst. It's not a semi to where you have to pull the trigger to fire every round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And while I appreciate the conversation about gun laws, we're, when you talk about school safety, there was an armed guard at Stoneman Douglas who made a decision to not engage. And I'm sure the reasons for that will come out. But we want to look at being able to prevent the person behind that weapon making such tragic decisions on the forefront of why would they even want to stockpile such weapons we've you know seen reports of some students that have been caught ahead of time that were stockpiling so what can we do ahead of time on the forefront of this to work to present such tragedies i want to Go ahead and give the number really quick, and then we can come back here. Uh, the numbers to call, 877-285-9348. We have about 15 minutes left in the show. If you'd like to be on, one 285 9348 Jody, you wanted to follow up on that really quick? Yes, and I think um, you know the issue of one particular solution that's been brought up, which is our armed guards in schools, uh, raises some circular logic as well, which uh, stresses the need to address these issues before they come up. So um, I have several friends who are Second Amendment enthusiasts, and um, I myself believe strongly in the Second Amendment. And one of the things that we routinely talk about is whether it's fair to ask another individual to put their lives on the line to save you or to intervene in a mass shooting. That's exactly what we're asking school resource officers to do. And um, 
really there is this idea that that is selfish, right? So we're talking about putting more of these folks in school or even arming teachers, which could have egregious tort consequences in kind of like a nerdy legal way that I won't go into right now. Um, but I think it, it just takes those issues off the table if you can put in a wraparound program like I talked about earlier that are, that's in the hospitals um, and we need to put the money there. We need to put our time and effort there and recognize that this is a mental illness mm-hmm. issue. We've unfortunately um, gotten away from the reason that that teachers go into education is that they want to teach. I enjoyed every moment with the students yesterday in making music and making better musicians. That is my training. That is my background. That is my passion. That's what we we go into education for. And then to expect to add another layer on top of that to also be law enforcement is just a step that I personally am not willing to take. And I believe that there are better solutions. Mm-hmm. We had one uh, uh, reaction on Twitter to something you said, Matt. Um, if the gang Matt referenced in China had AR-15s, wouldn't the loss of life been greater? That's what the the Twitter. You, you know, it's very possible. But if they had C4, had a nuke, wouldn't even even be better. I mean, it's it's one of those things that there's, you know, what if? Mm-hmm. For what I say and and what my pastor says, if what you trust in God. Go so it's it's not what it's not what if there's all those what ifs everything's a what if but you can't just blame an inanimate object mm-hmm. it's you can't blame a family I've got three children 16 11 and an eight year old they're all different and they act up sometimes and no matter how much my wife and me try to do stuff it's you know it's like well is it our fault <laughs> but you can't blame everybody else take responsibility for your own actions mm-hmm. are there any you know we've we hear a lot about um you know common sense gun laws are is there such a thing i mean is there are what matt is there something that you would support a common sense gun laws yeah well, like i said with with carrying, yeah. if you're going to carry a firearm, be properly trained. And not have somebody who for 30 years has, has shot and said, I'll teach you how to shoot. I've been an instructor for 21 years, and the first thing I see when somebody picks up a firearm just to, to check it out is how they grip a gun. And a lot of times, if they're not doing it properly, they're not going to like it, or it's, it's not going to be correct. And that's why from here to the wall, about seven yards away, they're going to miss because they anticipate. They jerk the trigger. They don't know how to do it. They don't train properly to do it so it's it's having training so they understand understand what the fundamentals are you know side alignment sight picture trigger control breath control stance grip follow through understand them other than saying oh no i can i see these movies and that's where it's bad media um it goes into i don't know if anybody can say tell me here how many shootings in 2008 school shootings there's been does anybody know they'll say if you look it up it says 18 that's incorrect there's been three since 2008 2018 2018 okay yeah it's there's there's been a gun that's gone off but actual shootings the ones that happened here february 14th january 23rd there's a kid that shot two killed two shot one and then another one january 22nd that wounded a kid in the cafeteria the other ones go ahead go ahead jody yeah and and Um, then we have a call but go ahead and follow up if you'd like. Yeah, I think there's a lot of slippage in terms. And so one of the things that makes, uh, I think, both gun rights advocates and gun control advocates just crazy and leaves those of us in the middle just kind of clueless is that there's a lot of slippage in terms that um, I would say very strong advocates on both sides take advantage of. So what's a gun-free zone? You know, um, is it a a zone where uh, guns are restricted, uh, where we don't know guns are allowed? Um, we don't know what how to define a school shooting. There's no federal definition of school shooting. There's no uh, one single definition of mass shooting. And I think sometimes it's hard to engage in these debates without exactly having a common definition. Mm-hmm. We have Derek from Bloomington on the line. Go ahead, Derek. You're on Noon Edition. Just a quick question. I was wondering, right, what seems... Well, we seem to have lost Derek. Okay. Oh, oh, there he is. Derek, you there? Uh, we're going to get, uh, I think we'll get Derek's question some way. But uh, Derek, if you want to call back, 812-855-0811 is the Bloomington number. Uh, we, we've been talking about um, uh, so, something that just kind of uh, 
came up with me was the Southwestern High School in Shelbyville being called the safest school in America here in, in Indiana. So looking at more of, of that side of it in terms of schools, what, what are schools doing or what do schools need to do to, to help in, in this issue? Well, I, I, again, I think if you look at, at some within that high school, which I, I will caution that um, there is some concern now for that school because as they became touted as being the safest, does that then unfortunately make them a target? Uh, and we certainly do not want to ramp up violence. Uh, but while we should be looking at ways for schools to be safe, and what to do, you know, we have tornado drills and we have fire drills within the state and we know why those exist. And we, we do wanna look at that safety, but again, uh, we have to look at the person behind the violence. And what can we do to stop that first? That, I, th I think when we look at from the human aspect of this, what can we do to change that person's life before this tragedy occurs? Mm -hmm. Is there, I want to ask all of you, I, I guess, and, and Brandon, from your perspective, being there where, you know, there, um, the legislature and other political arenas these days, it seems like people just choose a side and they don't want to waver from the side. Where's the common ground on uh, trying to make students safer, um, you know, school school safer, and perhaps some of these what people would refer, refer to as common sense gun laws. Uh, <laughs> common ground among lawmakers at the state house. <laughs> um, I, I think you'll see a little bit of that um, if if they try to do something like I said before the end of session when it comes to enhancing what Indiana does as far as school safety. There's some discussion about, um, there's some things in the law that allow schools to create these safety plans, maybe, maybe making them more mandatory, uh, making sure every single school has some sort of safety plan in place, uh, getting the word out about those, those school safety grants that I already mentioned, finding out who's taken advantage of them, who hasn't, and whether that's because they don't feel they need to or because they don't know they can. Um, so there, there's, there's certainly, the, and if the legislature tries to take those steps, those sorts of steps, I suspect that they would be strongly supported on both sides of the aisle. When it comes to gun issues, however, access to guns, gun regulations, I would suggest there's not often common ground among the two political parties when it comes to lawmakers at the state house. All right, Jody, is there, where's the where's the common ground? I think the common ground is that we all love our kids and we want to protect them. And um, perhaps uh, the solutions I would like to see taken off the table are arming students. I've heard that. Uh, I would like to take arming teachers off the table because issues of training, you know, even police who are trained, they have a higher misfire rate. Uh, schools, school districts in the state may be opened up to liability once um, under Section 1983, a federal uh, constitutional provision. Um, it just has so many risks. And ultimately, it's the more expensive course. So if if we're going to put our you know money where our mouth is, hire the people who are most trained to protect our, our students. Mm -hmm. Courtney? Um, and also in terms of common ground, you know, another common ground area is between gun violence prevention activists and then second right proponents. Um, we also have a common ground where I think Matt and I proved earlier that we both agree that background checks are extremely important. And the majority of, of gun owners and NRA members do agree that common sense gun laws such as that are important. Okay. Keith? Well, I do think that everyone wants to prevent this from happening again. And uh, I grew up in rural Indiana and have, with my dad and my granddad deer hunting and squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting. Uh, but we do want to make sure that our children can go to school and feel safe when they're there. We want parents to be secure when they drop off their child or when they put them on the school bus, that their children are going to go to a place that is safe, happy, and healthy, where teachers can actually do the job they were hired to do, and that is teach. And I think when we have that common ground among all, we can find the solutions and the way to get help to people who need it. Mm -hmm. Matt. It is. It goes along with 
you know, when we've got our children or anybody and there's an issue or see something, it's finding the source of that issue. Um, you know, I told you out of those 18 supposable school shootings, there are three. The first one was January 22nd, and it was one 16-year-old kid in Texas that shot another kid in the cafeteria. It was one kid. Now, does that one kid, it's, it's still not worth it. It's not worth the life of that child, but what was the reason for that? Was it bullying? Was it, you know, what was there something behind that? And it's knowing, you know, the bullies, bullying is still a big issue. And people go along, it's peer pressure, they start doing it. And, okay, how can we stop that? What's, what's the source behind of what's causing it? You know, whether it's using a knife, whether, whether it's using somebody to run somebody over, it's what's the source? And that's what's trying to help. Mm-hmm. That it's, I said, it's not firearms, nothing, nothing there. It's, you know, what's, what's going on with our children? We have to be able to understand that, not say, no, they'll be okay, they can get over it. Well, talk about it and try to figure out what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Courtney? Um, I just want to go back to, um, you said, you know, 18 school shootings didn't actually happen, but three. I think we're using two very different definitions of school shooting. I think you're, from the way I'm interpreting your definition is um, somebody has to have been shot for it to be considered a school shooting. I think the media and, you know, our definition when we say 18 means a live round has been discharged in school, uh, on a school grounds or in school property. And that's that's just where I just don't want it to come across like, the 18 school shootings is a lie. No, that just comes no, from different definitions. And that would be great if that's what was said. Like one was a, a little girl pulled the trigger on an officer's firearm and it discharged into the ground. That was one of the 18. That would be great if it said there were 18 school incidences mm-hmm. and only three of them were actually uh, But it is a sc- shooting on a school ground where right. someone could have been hurt. We're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, I want to thank you guys all for being here. Brandon Smith from Indianapolis. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, Matt Barthold, Courtney Daly, Jody Madeira, and Keith Gamble, who have all been here in the studio with us. Thanks for being here. Also for producer Angela Batista and my co-host Joe Wren and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.